I'm just going to leave mine. If right. we ever have technical difficulties going forward, I'm just going to leave mine running almost like a black box in an airplane. So it'll just no, always it, yeah. be running. So yours will be like the more like relevant document. Mine will just be like the fail safe. Do you, you know what I mean? I understand. I think that's a great idea. Um, cool. I, that I have no objections, no objections, chef. All right, cool. No objections, judge. I just deleted my entire my entire my entire fucking audio track is now gone, so we have to start over. <laughs> okay, now. I'm ready. I'm ready. Okay, one sec here. Um Okay, take two, baby. <laughs> right. Three, yep. two, one. Take fucking two. Here we fucking go. Gotta sing this goddamn fucking song again. I can't believe I get to hear this twice. <sighs> twice before our listeners will even get a chance to hear it. I once. know. You're a lucky duck. You're a lucky yep. you're a fucking lucky <laughs> duck, bro. You you're you're making this decision to do this again. That's fine with me. That's that's nine well, PM. <laughs> it's Sunday evening. Damn it. I get my snacks and drink ready. The smell of shit. And throw away gags or cutaways. Roommates are sleeping uh-huh. and I'm pumped. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> it's a parody of Brick by Ben Folds 5, by the way. Yep. I flip around adjacent channels. The unicorn is just ending. The good doctor has a tough case but I'm just thinking about Peter <laughs> now it's time time to watch that family guy and I'm feeling sick mm-hmm. as fuck mm-hmm. more than I ever have before yeah. He's a baby and he's fucking talking in the city of Quahog, Rhode Island. He's a baby and he's fucking talking. Great. Welcome back to It's On The List, a podcast about underrated movies, music, and more. Take Take two two. edition. I am, of course... I'm, of course, the fucking host of this mm-hmm. show. One of the hosts mm-hmm. of this show. Uh, the funny talking baby, Noah Marger. And with me, as always, is sleepy Joe Biden, Mason. Mason, <laughs> we're doing it again, baby. We're not doing it live. We get a second fucking chance to make this show work. I am happy. Finally. We did it. We have our first. We we're finally have our first happy lost for episode. once. We have our first lost episode. Kind of. Kind of. This is not a complete loss. But basically, we were half an hour into recording the pre the episode, um, and the short film that we watched tonight cursed us both. Um, and yeah. thirty minutes of the show was lost. The Zoom file that I used to back up the show in case something like this happens was corrupted, and they got a notice from Zoom saying that it could uh, harm my computer. And I thought, no, 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 not tonight. And so, not what today. we're doing. Satan. Not today, Satan. What we're doing is just doing it again, but it's okay. <laughs> we're just going to fucking do it again. We, we are fortunate, though, in the regard that we did have kind of this short yeah. film as a buffer because normally, obviously, we just talk about a, an album and a movie, but we didn't even get to the album and the movie because we were only 25, right. 30 minutes in. Because the short film cursed us. I want to make this clear. Right. The short film because cursed us. Because the short us. film cursed us. Um, so that's what's yeah. up. 
Um, Mason and I, we're gonna talk. We're gonna fucking talk about this short film again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, we'll just see how it goes. But um, yeah. as I, Sleepy Joe Biden, Mason is here. Mason, do you think it's funny I called you Sleepy Joe Biden? I didn't notice it, but now that you mention it, I think it's really Great. funny. Today we're talking about <laughs> fucking. I don't care. Let's just get fucking into it. Who gives a shit? We're talking about yeah. three things today. Mason, what's the first thing, thing we're talking about? Yes. Opal, a short film directed by Jack Stauber, which I had never seen before and I had no context for, having never seen anything by Jack Stauber or, or as aware of who he was before. Noah, what's your context with Jack Stauber's Opal? Okay, so uh, I'm cruising Letterboxd one day, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it feels so fucking weird to be talking about this again, but we're doing it, baby. We're talking about, I'm going to tell you as much as I can. I'm not going to fucking sell you guys short about my experience with Jack Stauber's Opal, but here we go, baby. Cause it's, it's a great, I mean, Mason, it's a great, it's a great short. It's a great short. No, no, no. I am, I'm, I'm being, this, this short has an energy, which I love and I cherish. I'm so happy that Noah brought this on the show. But it did curse me, and I have to just let everybody know that that might happen to you if you watch this. Um, but I love it. It's incredible. Oh, keep going. So I'm on Letterboxd, uh, cruising Letterboxd when all of a sudden, which is the Letterboxd version of cruising Reddit when all of a sudden, which is the funniest thing that you can <laughs> see online, I think. For yeah. Probably the funniest thing I think you can see online. Other than funny mm-hmm. porn. <laughs> which is the other funniest thing you can see online. I'm not watching right, it. Right, right, right. I don't know who is. <laughs> but I'm cruising letterboxed when all of a sudden I see my friend Ben log Jack Stauber's Opal. And I see it come across the home screen. I'm like, huh, what is Jack Stauber's Opal? I'd literally never heard of that before. So I click on it. Hmm, what do we have here, folks? I click on it. And it is a 13-ish uh-huh. minute fucking short or whatever. And it's got an interesting poster design. It doesn't really tell me a lot. And I'm like, oh, okay. Probably never going to watch that in my entire life because that just means really nothing to me right now. And then Mason cruising YouTube (laughs) when all of a sudden, Mason. What happened? On my home home screen, Mason. Oh, my God. Sat Jack Stauber's Opal, Mason. What? I know. I know. What? I couldn't believe it either. I could not fucking believe that something that I had seen on a previous day on letterbox.com could make it onto the fucking homepage of YouTube. It doesn't happen, folks. It doesn't happen. You never see it. You never see it. You never see it. You hate to see that happen, folks. Yes. Wake up! Wake (laughs) up! Wake up! Like that preacher from that video. <laughs> Wake up! It doesn't happen! Wake up! <laughs> Wake up! Ben, wake up! Ben, wake up, anyway. Ben. Wake up, Ben. Wake up, Ben. It's, it's fitting that we're saying wake up because this movie is, depending on how you see, think about this movie, it's either a dream or a nightmare. Whoa, spooky! Ooh. So I watched this short and I am blown away. Yeah. By yeah, this yeah, short. Yeah. No no kidding. I am like, holy crap. This thing is the closest I've felt to Courage the Cowardly Dog since I stopped watching Courage the Cowardly Dog. Um, Mason, you want to just quickly remind people what was banned in your home? Courage the Cowardly Dog, Cow and Chicken, Ed and Nettie. <laughs> it's, and it's oh, and Powerpuff Girls, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. That also was banned. What? Yeah. yeah. 
Powerpuff Girls was banned? Why? Uh, because uh, I watched it once and then hit my sister. I don't have any memory of this. <laughs> but my mom connected the dots and was like, we can't have any more of this. Yeah, because of course that was a fucking Powerpuff thing that made you do that. And you weren't just pissed off at your sister for some reason. Don't remember. Uh... <laughs> my mom said that when I was a kid, I pushed a kid down the stairs. But I was like a three-year-old. That's uh, hmm, That's pretty intense. It's kind of cool. Like a, I wish like I would. A... I wish I had the balls to do that now. Honestly, <laughs> to you. Yeah. I wish I had the balls to fly to Chicago, push you down the fucking stairs. That, yeah. Be like, guess we're not podcasting today, Mason, because I pushed you down the fucking stairs. Uh, Colin has to fucking clean up your teeth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your other roommate, who we don't give a shit about, is like, oh well, that's happening. Better jack off. <laughs> so yeah. Give a fuck about no, you. No. No. <laughs> that would be fun, though. Yeah, it would be so, nice to get pushed down the stairs. Uh, but anyways. You want that? No, absolutely not. Please don't come and push me down Great. the stairs. I'm not going. Well, not at least during COVID. I might come after Okay, COVID. sure, sure, sure. Well, sure, when COVID's okay. more stabilized, yeah. push you down the stairs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, this is a great fucking short. It is truly scary, yes. but not in like a horrific way, like a like mind-bending way. It's just creepy, and it's off-putting. Yeah. And it's got the spooky feeling, yeah. which sometimes during, like, the Halloween months, you don't really want to watch something that's, like, actually scary. You just kind of want to watch something that's a little spooky, right. a little fun. Yeah. You know, it's got that fun you know, element will, to yes. it, which I mm-hmm. think that this has, even though it is scary. Do you think this is, you would categorize this as fun? I think this is, like, a Mason? fun scary. Yeah, it's, it's, um, because I, bla- I had a blast watching it, uh, truthfully. Sure. Yeah, yeah, like, I love this shit. Like, I just saw Inland Empire for the first time. This is not as prolonged of, a, of an event as Inland Empire is. You sure. don't have to put your afternoon away to watch Opal. But um, it's kind of got, it kind of spooked me in a very cool, like kind of, like you said, Carriage of Cowardly Dog. Love that you made that comparison. Um, it, and a, uh, a kind of, also like a David Lynchy kind of thing, but without like the obtuse symbolism that like kind of categorizes his work, you know. This is a very like, <clears throat> we were talking about this in take one. But prior to the fucking curse. Prior to the curse of Opal. Itself. Prior to the curse of being enacted. Um, but this is a story. If you just want to know what it's about, it's a story about a little girl who visits a haunted house and then comes home again. That's it. That's, it. That's the entire yeah. short. But the one thing we're not telling you about Opal is that it's also a musical. Also a musical. Yes. And that, for me, is what puts this short over the yes. top mm-hmm. because if this is just a little girl go like a la Coraline or right. something you mm-hmm. know going to visit a haunted house it's not to the level of me being like oh I have to bring this on it's on the list yeah, yeah, yeah you know yeah. like mm-hmm. this that's just oh that's kind of a cool short that I watched yeah and the aesthetic of this thing is so cool that it could have just been like oh this is a really well crafted work like you know the animation exactly. and all that stuff and you can enjoy it like that but there's songs that are happening here there's songs that are happening, and the songs are, like, like they are, like, Broadway-esque in the sense that, like, these these are things that I think had to have been sung by the characters. Sometimes it's like, yeah. mm-hmm. oh, there's a musical number. It's like, why are we singing? This could have been talked out. But it's, like, the best songs in a musical are yeah. songs that it's like, well, this guy, ha- this person has to be singing this. There's this is no other way. Soul. Exactly. But yeah. in this case, instead of, like, these deep 
you know, cathartic wants and needs and desires that these people have. They're these like sunken in, creepy, deformed yeah. desires. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. my, like we were saying before, before the curse of Opal was enacted, my Mercedes valuable player for this short is the first well it's not the first song technically it's the first song that you get when you go to the haunted house because the first right it's the first song of act two we'll say exactly the first song that when she actually enters the haunted house and she's talking to this unnamed man who's got glasses and he Mm. sings a song about needing his cigarettes because Mm. he doesn't understand how how on tv it is looks so easy to breathe and not only is it just a very fun idea for a song it's like a beautiful sounding song as well that's what's so great about this this short is that you the only way into these characters in the short are through the songs that they're singing and the songs are so dense um with just it just information and uh and character things that you just get that song and you feel like you know exactly who this this person is uh and they're like it's such good songwriting like just on the level of songwriting it's incredible and it's in this weird little fucking movie it's really great and this and. is some mixed media animation going on as well. You have yes. stop motion claymation. You actually have little small moments of live action. You have yes. what at points looks like other fabrics and maybe some paper cut out action going mm-hmm. on. You know, it's just, it just is like a very singular experience. Jack Stauber has been making little animations on his YouTube channel for a couple years now um yeah. dating back to like mid 2010s basically mm-hmm. but he's only he's only 24 years old yeah it's like an old vhs aesthetic it's just amazing mm-hmm. it's just fucking cool i mean it's a lot of care and craft put into this which i really appreciate and i really just like that's what i admire most is that this the, the, the dedication and the craft to making this thing come alive and it just is it's really exciting you know it, it feels um with finding like young was well, a young artist you know like Jack Stauber or, you know, like Remy Wolf or Indigo, or Indigo D'Souza. D'Souza. Yeah. The thing that's really exciting is like knowing, or the thing that's so sad on the other hand about shirkers being lost basically right, is like, Oh, this is a really exciting start. And Jack Stauber's been doing stuff for, you know, where is this in his career? Still, still technically the start, I guess, you know, cause he's young, but in any case, it's exciting to see young people, young talented people and be like, Fuck man, and just like wanna wanna share that. So that's uh, I'm glad you brought this on the show. My Mercedes valuable player is the character of Opal, um, because uh, she's such a uh, sympathetic character, um, such a uh, sad. <laughs> um, she has these this great design that you just you just kind of had to fall in love um, with Opal. Uh, these big deep like brown sad eyes, and um, I don't know, it's great. Uh, and she doesn't talk. She, she doesn't she, talk. She's a silent protagonist, which is always yes, very cool to yes. see. You love a yes. silent protagonist because you do. in film, in theory, not in film theory, but in films, in theory, yes, you can tell a story that transcends language. They you did can, it for decades. <laughs> yes, they did. And not, I'm not going to say this film transcends language barriers because there are a lot of speaking things in this movie that are mm-hmm. done in English, mm-hmm. but the experience of Opal and the attachment that we have to Opal, she's not saying anything. She is completely silent. She gives maybe some little noises every now and then, but you're just in her shoes experiencing all this. 
Um, and that's what I think is really cool about horror, honestly, yeah. is that you oftentimes, depending on the movie, sometimes the protagonist is not the most interesting person on screen. Sometimes right. it's the world. Sometimes it's yeah. the villain. Sometimes it's these other characters that really get to shine that aren't the protagonist. So this is kind of a horror, kind of a musical. It's kind of both and not yeah. really fully one or the other. It's all of it. So I got some fast facts for you real quick, Mason. Let's do it. I think this is where we zoomed last time. <laughs> all right. Crossing my fucking fingers, knocking on wood uh, that we don't get fucking zoomed. Jack Stauber, who created this, is a singer, songwriter, and animator from McKean, Pennsylvania. Mason, I'll ask you one more fucking time. When was the last time you were in McKean, Pennsylvania? I don't think I've ever been to McKean, Pennsylvania. Okay, we'll do a live show there. Yes. <laughs> uh, maybe, I don't know, hopefully that place isn't bad. I don't know where that place is on the map at all. Uh, he has published four albums uh, on both his Bandcamp and Spotify under his name, Jack Stauber, and eight different projects, whether they're compilations, EPs, or just albums altogether, under the name Jack Stauber's Micropop. His music is a blend of pop, electronic, and folk. And on his YouTube channel, it features a multitude of different videos, which typically include Microsoft Paint animation, 3D mm -hmm. animation, Ooh. stop motion animation, and hey. other mixed media. Nearly all of his content, especially since 2016, is recorded onto a VHS tape, giving it an old-timey aesthetic. He also makes animated cartoon shorts on his channel that are made in Microsoft Paint, but has been appearing more recently in different forms of art styles. Like I said, My Mercedes Valuable Player is the So Easy to Breathe on TV song. It gets a full recommend from me. Mason, can we move on? Yeah. Let's talk about something new. Thank God, because we've been, in aggregate, you and I have been talking about this for what? 40 minutes probably yeah yeah we yeah. are yeah it's fine it's not it's well, no it is fine you're right i was gonna have to say it's not bad but i made it sound like it's not fine this fucking sucks <laughs> but no we're here baby we're here we're, we're talking about it. an album we're talking about an album we're doing it we this is mason's choice this week um and noah why don't you introduce the album since i introduced your short okay uh this is an album by haru Haruomi Hosono. Am I saying that right? Is it Haruomi? I believe it's Haruomi. He got, I think that his like kind of nickname is Harry. Harry I'm going to call him Harry Hosono. Is it yeah, Hosono? Call him Harry Hosono? I think it's Hosono. Harry yeah. Hosono. We're going to call him Harry Hosono for ease of just getting across conversation. Harry yeah. Hosono's, it says 1978 on Spotify, but it's not true. It's 1982. Yeah. Yeah. Harry Hosono's 1982 album, Phil Harmony. This is a... I'm going to say experimental mm -hmm. uh, synth pop album. That's what I'm going to mm -hmm. call it. How did I do? I like that. Thanks. I think that that's a fair, I think that that's a fair, I think that's a fair sort of, yeah, that's a fair bracketing of this, this album. It's Thank you. He was using new technology. So it's experimental and he made fucking pop songs out of it. Usually on a synth or with other electronic yes. means. Yes, this is a, a purely um, sort of computer or digital kind of modified album. There's, if they, you know, if you, I don't know too much about the production of this. I couldn't find a lot of stuff ahead of time. Um, but I get the sense that maybe some stuff was like recorded analog and then switched around with digitally. Sure. Um, but I don't know for sure. But it is. A I am curious. Because there isn't a lot of information readily available about this specific album in mm -hmm. particular. Mm -hmm. How did you come across Phil Harmon so, and Harry Hosono? 
so this was uh, 2019. Tw no, actually, this would have been 2018. Um, and I was uh, in 2018. There was just in my like kind of little internet circle or whatever, my friends. Um, th and I, it, it, there was a uh, song that always got. Um, yeah. Are you still recording onto Garage Band? Same exact thing happened. My computer is fucking dead. It's <laughs> I don't dead? know what's going on. I don't know what's going. I turned it off. I could probably turn it on, but I can't imagine that we're gonna have a different result. Damn. All right. So let's I'm just still keep recording. Talking. I will search to see if Garage Band. Let's just keep talking. So where was I? Um, uh, last thing I last thing I heard you say was uh, I asked you how did this album and how did Harry Hasono come into your life? So you can just okay. start talking about how you discovered this album. Okay, so in 20, uh, okay, so uh, Harry Hasono and this album in particular came into my um, life. Um, I have made a post on Facebook in 2018 with this song, I think that's how you say her name, Plastic Love. And that's somewhat of a meme song, I think, because people always got it in their algorithm. And also it's a fucking great song. So I posted it on Facebook just being like, check out this cool song that I found, everybody. And then right. my my mentions, my DMs were, were flooded Damn. in the comments being like, yeah, being in the comments like, oh shit, uh, I can't believe you got this on the algorithm too, blah, 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 blah. And then one of my friends, uh, and I, we were lamenting at the time that the um, song was not on Spotify. And it actually technically was, but under a different name. That's not important. It's not even on Spotify under that anymore. So don't need to mention that. Um, but one of my friends posted a comment like, my favorite like Japanese synth pop song that's not on Spotify is this. And the song was Sportsman. And so that was my first in gotcha. to the album. Yeah. Gotcha. Interesting that that was, that's very interesting that that was your in to this album that'll come up a little bit later uh as we're talking about this but really yeah, oh shit hey yeah. good news i saved some i saved some of my last garage band file was saved that's good <laughs> i don't do we care at this point uh i was just saying no i guess not i guess if we're up and running i might just record but sportsman was your in sportsman was my in. love that the yeah. this is such this is such a I like was struggling to think about how I was going to talk about this album on this episode because this album doesn't, at least for me, really resonate with me as far as like my emotions go. But I think it's a very mm -hmm. interesting album. I think it's a very intellectually mm -hmm. interesting project because this album sounds like it could have come out in 2020, straight up. Right, 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 right. Like, just like... Uh immediately like listening to this, I was like, Oh, this could have been on SoundCloud. This could have been on Bandcamp. This could have been on fucking who knows, you know, like this just could have yeah, been yeah. from 2020 and I would not have been none the wiser, but it's from the eighties. Um, and there's a couple yeah. different people or groups that I feel like must have come across this in one way or another. I think the two biggest ones in my head, and I don't know this for sure. This is purely speculation based on the sounds that I heard being um, 
produced and the way that the sounds were put together, the way the orchestrations were. But I got David Byrne vibes from this, specifically sort of mm-hmm. later on in the album. Okay. And I also got LCD sound system vibes from this. And so I wonder if James Murphy was privy to Harry Hasono at all. I have a feeling he probably was. He seems like a pretty well-read guy in the music world. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, he's like a he's a real audiophile and I and that's a big part of his character. I see that. I wrote down in my notes here, uh, which thank God. So I'm with you that this doesn't feel um at least at the time it's very um kind of uh uh, uh unknown, I guess. I don't know. Or or what I'm trying to say is I like that this album has so many different sounds to it, basically. And sure. I think that what it does is just like make a very specific kind of scene or setting for each song um, or a character, uh, which is it's like why I can kind of appreciate Jack Stauber's songwriting and Harry Hisono on the same level or for the same reason. Um, the second time when we watched Opal, because four hours ago when we started recording this podcast, we watched oh, Noah and I watched Opal together. Yeah. Um, and uh, the second time we watched it, I was more tuned into the songs and the music in it. And I was like, wait, this song, this is like really good songwriting. And it's kind of like how I think that you can make at least a short film out of most, if not all of the songs on this, just by the kind of atmosphere alone. And I think that like uh, this time listening to it, when I was listening to it for the show, the song In Limbo um, and title track, uh, or I'm sorry, Phil, Harmo- Phil Harmony, the title track. Um, were very video gamey and kind of reminded me of like music that you hear in like a Nintendo game or something. Exactly. Um, yeah, and I like also um, I like that you described this as an experimental album. And so Harry Hasono also to, to get to where else this comes into my life. Harry Hasono is also a Discover Weekly staple, and Classic. it took a while for me. And it took until I think this year for Phil Harmony even to get on Spotify because uh, I was listening to some other Harry Hasono music. And then I saw this was on here. I'm like, oh, that's the album cover. Because the album cover for this is fucking awesome. And I love it. It is. Um, and um, Phil, so I listened to Phil Harmony and for the album for the first time. And I thought it was great. It was awesome. And um, my favorite like kind of track was, at first time I was listening to it, was the Funiculi Funicula, which is this like Neapolitan, like kind of right. operatic like song. Um, and I like that he made a, fun like kind of synth pop version of this class of this like classic song um i think this is just just for me um when i first heard it i definitely thought it was like an intellectual thing like honestly it was like it it, it hit me in like the kind of david byrne and lc sound system brain um and the more that i listen to it i'm just like man this is so fun like this is just fun music that i like listening to um and it should i also want to to note mention um harry hasono is this might be in your fast facts is the yellow magic orchestra on your fast facts we talk a little bit about it but go off okay um yellow magic orchestra also fucking rocks uh they're like a craft work inspired um uh like japanese synth pop band and harry harry hasono was a member ryuchi sakamoto sakamoto who did the music for thank you uh mr lawrence or merry christmas mr lawrence and it's like a, an actor and a composer uh he pops up He's a member of the Yellow Magic Orchestra. Uh, great fucking fun music to listen to. Um, all right, chef. So 
what else do you feel about this album? What are some of your crazy fucking crazy fucking segue? Um, you know, I'm kind of of two minds on this album because there's stuff there's stuff on this album that I like, and there's stuff on this album that I think uh-huh. is a little bit more annoying than I do like it, and it purely is the kind of instrumentation that is being used and the kind of I don't want to say the production of it, but just like the sounds I don't like. I don't think it sounds good, basically, sure. for lack of a better term. Um, so I think the ones that, for me, I like the most yeah. are the first song, Picnic, which none of the actual song titles for this appear if you are listening to it on Spotify. But if you Google Phil Harmony, Haruami, Hasomo, Hasono, then it'll just tell you the names of the tracks, just like straight up. It'll just like list them for you. So kind of handy, kind of nice. Really, really nice if you're listening along with this and you're like, oh, what the fuck is this actually called? And you don't actually read or speak Japanese. Uh, Picnic, the first track, I (laughs) like that. how often they're going big, 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 big. I like how often that word is used uh, (laughs) in that track. I really enjoyed that. Uh, Finiculi uh, Fikara, is that how you say it? Finiculi Fikara? Finiculi Finicula. Finiculi, finicula. Uh, it's a, yeah, yeah. It's like a, it's like an it's it's an Italian like kind of song about like I don't know. It's a fun song just just in its usual in its um, native language, I guess. I like the so. I liked the repu- the repetition in that. I like how sort of we're always coming back to sort of like these bass sounds, not bass as far as like the yeah. actual bass guitar or like a bass drum, but like you have like a but like, like home bass. Exactly. Like, well, like home base. Yeah. He builds a layer of like sounds that you're used to and then just like builds off that. And that's like fun to like return to those sounds. And it's like, oh, very elemental in that way. And that's sort of the David Byrne-ness of it that I thought was interesting because I think David Byrne oftentimes Mm -hmm. does that is like builds off something and then makes it go as big as it can. And then oftentimes after he's gone as big as he can, shrink it back down. Have you seen... Uh, American Utopia yeah. on HBO Max. No, not the film because I saw the concert, <laughs> or I saw David Byrne do that concert when I was in LA with cousin Luke, actually. Whoa! Um, but I haven't seen the movie yet. Yeah. Damn. Well, then you've seen it. You don't. You don't need to see the movie because honestly, I know, but I want to see it again. <laughs> it's it's one that I really wish I could have seen live because I wish I just think I would have liked it more live. Spike does. The recording of it, as we know on this podcast, Spike does an amazing recording of mm-hmm. Passing Strange. This one, to me, was just sort of like I'm capturing the performance in an interesting way, but it didn't really make me feel like I was there in like a stop-making sense yeah. or a Passing Strange kind of way. This one was just sort of like, this is what this event is all about. And I was like, wow, this is a great promo for wanting to see this live. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. No, it was an incredible show, and I, I just haven't gotten around to seeing the movie yet, but I'm sure that it's um, awesome. And I like that you – I think that David – so I think another sort of fan of Harumi Hosono, and it's not on this album, but I thought it was, is um, Ezra Koenig because um, – Oh, a Vampire Weekend? Yeah, 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 because the song 2021 samples, I think, another track by Hammer, one of his contemporaries. But I have to imagine that Ezra likes Harumi Hosono as well. I'm going to look this up. 
actually. Look it up. 2021. Um, I think my favorite song and also my Mercedes Valuable Player of this is the song that introduced you, Mason, to this album, Phil Harmony. And that is number eight, Sportsman, because it sort of reminds me of the song uh, Down Under by Men at Work. It sort of has that like same flute-y sound, that like sound that is really fun. And then also sort of a this must be the place melody. Like I keep hearing little bits of David Byrne uh, in there. And who knows if Harry Hasono actually knew about David Byrne or like how big the talking heads were over there or if there was like any of that influence or if they were influencing each other, you know. When did Speaking in Tongues come out? When did Speaking in Tongues come out? I don't know. I have to to imagine they – David Byrne is a a learned man of the world. I would love if these two worked together and I should have looked that up. Um, I was thinking of um, it was Harumi Hosono was the uh, sample in 2021. I just don't have the name of the song. Speaking in uh, Tongues came out matter. on June 1st, 1983, a.k.a. Mason's birthday, because he's older than me. Yes. So I assumed that you were born yeah. in 1983 and that yeah. you're almost 40 years old, which would be awesome. Yeah, I'm a Gen X millennial cusp, and you're a millennial Gen Z cusp. <laughs> yeah, that's why we get along so well, is because we both understand hashtag dat cusp <laughs> lifestyle. Um, yep. <laughs> but, you know, this this is one that I, I guess, for lack of a better term, uh, number three, luminescent slash Hotaru and platonic, I just wasn't as big on. I just think that the actual sounds in those songs are a little mm-hmm. bit more annoying, I guess. I guess that's the only really word I can think of to use, because it's just like... It either sure. works for me or it doesn't work for me. And it's either because I found it to be intellectually interesting or I just found it to be annoying. And that's really about as simple as like as it gets with this album for me. I don't see myself returning to this album specifically. I might go and search a little bit more about and see what Harry Hasano was more about on the whole and see what more of his side projects were about because he's a huge Japanese artist. I mean, this guy is like considered to be like one of the most influential yeah. Japanese artists of the 21st or of the 20th century. So I am a little bit more interested to see like what his career was like and sort of what maybe some of his side projects were. Yeah. But for this album, I don't see myself really returning to it outside of this pod. Although there were songs on it that I did enjoy on an intellectual level. And I, yeah, some of them are fun. Some of them I think are annoying. That's kind of where I'm at sure. with this album. That is just I uh, I understand that I appreciate that I uh, deeply love this album. Uh, <laughs> okay, that's this, good. I'm glad um, you deeply love this album. This uh, and the song "Sportsman" in particular really got me through this year because it came back into my life in like February of this year when I noticed that Harumi Hasano was on and this album was on Spotify. And then in the middle of the year, um, in early pandemic times, God help me, uh, my friend, uh, one of my friends was doing like send me a message and I'll make a playlist for you. And I sent her a message nice. and she made a playlist for me and Sportsman was on that playlist. And oh, I'm like, shit. hell yeah, I can get with, with this. And if one song got me through this year, I think it was the song Sportsman. Um, and I, my Mercedes Valuable Player is the flute line which you shouted out. Um, it's, sure. it's like the second instrument kind of that we uh, hear when the song starts. Uh, it's a very triumphant song to me. Uh, it's, a, it's very much a song about just like kind of... Um, getting strong, doing your best to get strong and power through just through life. So, you know, uh, I would strongly recommend this whole thing. I think that if you're more inclined to just chilling with this, with the, with an album and just like letting the atmosphere kind of, of be the thing, just hanging out, then this is going to be an album that I think you'd like. 
I would also shout out Paniculi Funicula. That's just a fun kind of synth poppy song. Uh, but definitely, if you're going to listen to anything here, listen to Sportsman. And just for funsy, maybe I'll drop it at the end of the show. Whoa, but, uh, this is, if this show actually this comes out because of how crazy the recording has been. Oh, Christ. Uh, don't remind me. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, this, But this gets, um, on the basis of that, on the basis of it, like, I'm just going to give this a regular old recommend. Um, just if it sounds interesting to you, give it a listen. And if not, maybe try out Sportsman. You'll probably like it. I think it's kind of an undeniably good song. Undeniably a great song, maybe even. But that's all I want to say about the album. <laughs> great. Uh, I'm going to give this a conditional rec. Uh, there's a really good chance you'll vibe cool. with it. There's a really good chance this just isn't your thing because I think there's a lot of people who are just not really into this kind of stuff, not really just into like electronic music because it is, I would say it's a more of an experimental, now that I'm thinking about it, more of an experimental electronic album, maybe more than a synth pop album. Synth pop in my mind maybe is a little bit more close sure. to like okay. churches that we talked about at the beginning yeah, of the third yeah. season. Where every song is a pop song and not just. A couple. I mean, I think that I think LDK, um, Living Dining Kitchen, and Platonic are kind of fun poppy songs. But I think that I'm with you that I wouldn't, I wouldn't give this to a church's fan, you know. No. Um, or if you know, if I, I knew someone like really likes churches, I'd try to find a more a better album to give to them. This is not for for uh, I don't know. Uh, but that yeah yeah yeah. I, I think you're right there. This is an experimental electronic album. Uh, it's cool that I, I just think it's also cool that he was playing around with machinery available to him at the time and this is what he came up with and it's just like everything here is worth listening to but um i don't know you got some fast facts or you want you got anything else you want to see about this album no i just got some fast facts um actually quite a few fast facts because this guy is very interesting and i didn't really know a lot about him or strike that i didn't know anything about him prior to this podcast so i got some facts about harry hasono here for you hasono is considered to be one of the most influential musicians in Japanese pop music history, credited with shaping the sound of Japanese pop for decades, as well as pop music outside of Japan. That's why I feel like there are influences that we just don't know about, maybe because, you know, they're not talked about. I didn't do enough research to know, does James Murphy like Harry Hasano? Like, I didn't go that far with it. It's just a conjecture on my end. Uh, He also inspired genres such as city pop, and I'm really going to do my best with some of these names here. I believe it is Shibuya K, genres such as city pop and Shibuya K. Uh, and as leader of Yellow Magic Orchestra, contributed to the mm. developing and pioneering of numerous electronic genres. This fast fact could be its own podcast episode, but I'm not going to go into it any further than what is written because it would just be an entirely okay. huge tangent to go off. But it is crazy. And I don't know if you know this, Mason, but... Hasono, the grandson of Titanic survivor and only documented Japanese passenger, Masabumi Hasono. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. I know. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, just crazy. I'm not going to go into it any more than that, but just, you know. Look, look that shit up on your own time, or I feel like look, that's like a very like pretty cool ninety nine percent invisible thing to like do a fucking episode about. Uh, Harry Hasono oh, began shit. his career with psychedelic rock band April Fool before achieving recognition both nationally and internationally as a founding member of the bands Happy End and Yellow Magic Orchestra. 
1977, Hosono invited Ryuchi Sakamoto and Yukihiro Takahashi to work on the ex- on his exotica flavored album Paraiso. Paraiso, I believe is how you say that. Paraiso, which included electronic mm-hmm. music produced by the Yamaha CS80 Polyphonic Synthesizer and ARP Odyssey Synthesizer. The band was originally named Harry Hosono and the Yellow Magic Band, later being changed to Yellow Magic Orchestra. Having recorded in late 1977, Paraiso was released in early 78. The three worked together again for the 78 album Pacific, which included an early version of the song Cosmic Surfin'. He was one of the first producers to recognize the appeal of video game sounds and music, which is very much at play in PhilHarmony. Yellow Magic Orchestra, self-titled debut in 1978, contained substantial video game sounds. And after Yellow Magic Orchestra disbanded, an early project of an, uh, was an album simply titled Video Game Music, containing mixed and edited Namco arcade game music and sounds. That would be very interesting to listen to. Um, mm-hmm. uh, video game music was released in 1984 as an early example of a chiptune record and the first video game music album. That same year, he also produced the theme song for Hayao Miyazaki's popular film, Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind, with vocals by you actress singer Narumi Yasuda. He has produced a number of short-term band projects, and as a band member, his first post-Yellow Magic Orchestra band was Friends on Earth. As with most of his projects, he combines musical styles that he's interested in. Friends on Earth seemed to be a combination of funk and techno, and included a collaboration with James Brown and Maceo Parker for a remake of the song Sex Machine. Another notable band project was 1995's Love, Peace, and Trance. Members were Mamori Yusa, Miyako Koda, Harry Hasono, and Michio Ogawa, if those names mean anything to you. Uh, 2019 marked Hasono's 50th anniversary in the music industry. On March 6th, he released Hochono House, a mostly electronic remake of his solo debut, Hasono House, that reversed the track listing. That spring, he performed his first solo show in the U.S. that included Mm -hmm. two sold-out shows at the Gramercy Theater in New York and a concert at the Mayan Theater in Los Angeles. In Los Angeles, Mm. Canadian indie rock musician Mac DeMarco, whose vocal admiration of Hosono has spread to a portion of his own fan base, appeared during the show to perform Honeymoon as a duet with Hosono. Light in the Attic had recently released a cover of the song on a 7-inch record backed with the original version. This guy is a wellspring of influence, I think, and it's just... A shame that we have to talk about a movie now because there's just so much to talk about with this guy. But I don't think that there's enough that we know off the top of our heads to keep talking about him. So, again, conditional rec from me. You might be into it. You might not. It's worth a listen. It's interesting. But I don't love this album. But I respect Harry Hasono greatly for what he's done for electronic music and just music in general. He's kind of a legend. He's a big time legend. Um, let's move on. Great. Mason, do you want to introduce the movie that we're talking about today? Oh yeah. Uh, the movie we're talking today is, uh, is click directed by Frank Karachi from 2006 and starring Adam Sandler. Uh, all right. This has been a point of contention for you and me for the last week, ever since I told you what album uh, it was. Uh, you literally said, God damn it, when I told you that we were going to be talking about Click. 
Um, what is your history with Click, Mason? Uh, Click comes out in 2006. Um, didn't see it. Didn't <laughs> think I was ever going to see it. Um, my parents were not... Adam, <laughs> speaking of band in the household, parents were not a big fan of Adam Sandler. God, um, that's so insane. I okay, sure, sure. Um, so no history with them. And I was trying to remember if this summer I was still doing Facets movie camp stuff. And I was. And so I didn't go to the movie theaters to see what was in cinemas a lot. I saw P- Pirates 2, I'm pretty sure. I saw Monster House. Uh, Monster House fucking rocked that yeah. summer. And so the next year, uh, it, my seventh grade youth group trip was going on a mission trip. And I went went to North Carolina through this like kind of faith-based nonprofit situation. And it would begin with the day would begin with breakfast and then a sermon. And then you would go off and, uh, you know, paint people's houses, just kind of be in the community. Fun time. It was a beautiful country. Uh, North Carolina is, but one day the um, uh, pastor or, you know, whoever is getting up and he uses the movie click as a kind of point in his sermon. And he, the point he's making the only thing I remember, and it's probably because it made me sad, was the um, the the last time that Adam Sandler sees Henry Winkler. Uh, right. He used it to be like, oh, you know, you got to be, you know, you never know when the last time we're going to see somebody is. And so you should always, like, you know, be kind or whatever. And it's like, okay, great. I think I got the point of click and never have to see it. I'm going through my life, not thinking about the movie Click. I think the only time it comes into my field of vision is, um, I think, uh, Demi, uh, Demi, you know, Demi. Uh, I wish I knew how to say Demi last name, he, Yes, yes, yes. Um, and uh, he had a bit on Twitter where he would just leave a copy of Click in his parents' house on DVD. See before, see how long it went before it got remarked on. As far as I know, it never got remarked on. I think that's an incredible bit. Um, but I never thought they would have to sit down and watch the movie. Um, a YouTuber that I watched their videos of did an hour-long video about the movie Click, and I watched it, and I was like, great, now I really don't need to see the movie Click. <laughs> this is so fucked, dude. This is crazy for me. And so now I had to watch the movie Click. Noah, God. what's your history with the movie Click? Um, This was a movie that was kind of a Marger family movie night staple, actually, uh, for lack of okay. a better term. Uh, this was a movie that everyone in my family liked to sit down and watch as a family. Uh, there were a couple movies okay. sort of in that rotation. School of Rock, of course, is one of those movies. School of okay. Rock is a fucking oh, certified no. okay. family classic. Uh, and I it's remember epic cl- film. it is an epic. It is straight up fucking epic, dude. Uh, and I just remember this being in the rotation. It wasn't an all the time movie, but I have seen this movie with my dad multiple times. Uh, I think that it is an unfairly maligned film. I think that there are movies that get brought okay, on. Okay. No, no, no. What, 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 what's up? I want to know what, okay. So I, it's finish your thought. And then I want to know why you think it's unfairly maligned. So I think there are movies that get brought on to this show because we are so loose, honestly, with our definition of like what underrated really means. Um, And it's more than underrated because there's underrated things like Thomas bringing on Nacho Libre. That movie is not necessarily thought of as like a great movie or a movie that's really good. But Thomas thinks that movie is really good. And so he wanted to talk about it. That's one version of like something that someone might bring on this show. 
a lot of the time, yeah, what things that are brought on in this sh- on this show, it's on it's on the list are are things that not a lot of people have seen. They're sort of overlooked in one way or another in sort of mainstream popular culture. But mm-hmm. f- for some reason, you know, that was the case, but they're better than that. They should have been talked about. Like, it's like, why doesn't anyone talk yeah. about Buffalo 66? Why doesn't anyone talk about after hours? Why doesn't anyone talk about, I don't yeah, know, yeah, whatever. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Just why doesn't anyone talk about this movie? Then there are some times where you bring things on to a show where it's like, this is good. People like this, but I love this thing. This is something that I yeah. love. I think it's one of the best, and I don't think it gets enough credit. Even though people like it, I think it's better than that. I think more or less, those are like the three categories of things that get brought on this show. Mm-hmm. Would you agree with that, Mason? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then there's the um, I then there's also the uh, one that's kind of like I think this is really cool, and nobody's seen it. Um, let's talk about it. I think that might be, or does that kind of fall under one of the other three, do you think? I think that's the, more of the second one that I just mentioned, where it's like, okay. why doesn't anyone really talk about this thing? I think that's like okay, a sub-category sure. of that. I think Click falls into the first category. I think that this is truly an underrated movie. I think that this is a movie that people mostly don't like, or they good amount of people don't like. I think it's a very divisive movie for some reason. People are not, are, I'm, yeah, divisive I think might be the right word. People either are like into this movie or they're not. There's not a lot of middle ground with Click. Okay. Um, yeah. And I happen to be in the category of people who likes Click. I think this is an unfairly like shit on film. And there's things about this now movie that do not question. hold up. There's things about this movie that don't hold up. And I absolutely saw that on this watch because I hadn't seen the movie in a while. But I think that this movie, for the most part, absolutely works in what it's trying to do. That is why I wanted to bring it on the show. Uh, okay. Okay. We're going to, I think, disagree. <laughs> Here's my question, actually. Did you think there was ever going to be a chance where I would, like, come close to your side on this? And that's why you recommended it? Like, was my, like, kind of apprehension truly surprising i i just i um or um man i don't know i really just um i'm glad you have a history with it probably if i watched it earlier it would have meant something to me but i just i can only see the stuff that doesn't work because i'm watching this fully through for the first time sure 27 years old and having no like kind of not to say I don't like Adam Sandler. I love Adam Sandler. I was looking at his IMDb. I've seen, because he was kind of forbidden from my household. I didn't get a chance to see a lot of his movies. But what I did see, I liked. Like when I could catch it on Comedy Central when no one was around. Like I think fondly on Billy Madison. Like I watched that all the way through with commercials. Um, even the movie, my kind of, I think, unfairly maligned um, Adam Sandler movie would be Bedtime Stories. Because I saw that in theaters actually. And I remember really being charmed by it, even when I was like 14 years old or whatever, 15. People think that movie's not very good. Um, I can only kind of, I just can, I just watching this movie for the first time in 2020 and kind of what I need from a comedy is something that's going to make me laugh and not going to make me just wish I was doing something else with my time. Okay. 
and that's kind of how I felt about this movie. I the thing that it comes down to for me, man, is I just don't think it's funny. I, sure. There's not. There's. I can't think of it. I, I don't. I just don't. Uh, I can't think of a joke that works in this for me, really. Um, I actually, that's not true. I kind of like the scene where he's um, playing with like his color in the mirror, changing the color sure. there. I like when he's kind of playing around with. Um, when he's uh, playing around with David Hasselhoff's kind of appearance, I think that's kind of a funny bit. But other than that, man, I just, I don't know. I don't know. So I think just, that it's, it's interesting because the Sandman of late has kind of become like an insanely polarizing guy in the movie world. And I was asking my dad about it, who was like yeah, around yeah, for yeah. the come up of Adam Sandler. You know, and I was like, man, it's crazy that Sandler is divisive and polarizing now. And he was like, no, Sandler's always been divisive and polarizing. When he was on SNL, apparently there was like you either were like this guy fucking rocks or you were like, this guy is a fucking schmo and I want to see him off screen as fast as I can. So I didn't realize that he had always sort of been kind of a polarizing guy. That was news to me because in yeah, my yeah. house, we were watching Happy Gilmore. We were watching Billy Madison. We were watching The Water Boy. We were watching, you know, Big Big Daddy. We were watching him in his heyday. I grew up with the guy. I think that he's like, he's truly, and I don't say this mockingly at all. There is a small group of people that I have written down on my phone that I will not share more about. But there are people that I, the smallest of people I have written (laughs) down on my phone, where if I had that person's career, I would be completely satisfied. And Adam Sandler is one of those people. And I'm going to tell you why, Mason. Okay, okay, yeah, tell me, tell me, tell me, yeah. Adam Sandler gets to do the movies that he wants to do. Adam Sandler gets to work with the people that he wants to work with. Adam Sandler gets to take his family on vacations when they're shooting these movies wherever he wants. Not all of these movies are good. Not all of these movies work. But he is getting to do what he wants to do, and every seven-ish years, you know, or whatever, he does something where you're like, God damn, the guy is a fucking talented actor. Like, holy shit. Like, on a dramatic level, you know, he gives us a Spanglish, or he gives us a Punch Drunk Love, or he gives us an Uncut right, Gems, right. you know? Right, yeah. So... He gives us a Funny People. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I've not seen Funny People, actually. Don't know if that movie is actually... I haven't either. Anymore. I think I, I don't know how I feel about that movie. Maybe we put it on the list. <laughs> put it on the giant fucking list for this show. But that is a person where if I had that guy's career... I would be completely satisfied. Now, there are other things about other I, people's I, careers that I would like to mix in with that career, ultimately, but he's, one, he's on the list. He's on a very short, exclusive list, and I respect the shit out of Adam Sandler for what he has done with his career. I, I, I like that. I want that for you, buddy. I want you to, to be able to say, fuck it, I'm going to make a movie um, in Hawaii and invite along my friend Steve Buscemi. The thing that it comes down to for me is you got to make a good movie if you're going to do that. If you're going to invite all your friends and spend all this time and 
you know, bring people along whose job it is to make movies. You got to respect that you're doing, putting work in there, you know? Yeah. And I'm just trying to evaluate to bring it back to the topic at hand, evaluate click as a product of something that was made. Time was put into it. Care was put into it. And I'm just like, nothing's happening. Nothing's happening for me right now. It just feels so. The thing that's so disappointing about Adam Sandler's career is that he is doing, he's spending his money and having a good time. Um, apparently, you know, and good for him. I, but he's spending a lot of money and he's kind of selling his soul a little bit. And he's a very gifted performer. Um, he's fucking great in everything else that I've seen him in. He's great in Punch Drunk Love. He's great in, um, and I know that I'm picking and choosing the kind of artier stuff here, but like, fuck, even before Uncut Gems, he like knocked me away in Meyerowitz stories, the Bob oh, yeah. movie, where he like had like, a, where he was in a project that. And same thing with PDL and Punch Drunk Love and same thing with the Safties and Uncut Gems. Like, they understand this guy. So he's not bad at surrounding himself with smart people. I just think that he makes easy decisions. And that just kind of, for the amount of money that he's getting to make movies and the amount of time that he's spending and, the you know, the amount of interest in what's happening here, it kind of offends me a little bit, to be completely honest. And for a long time, he was getting a lot, a lot of money to sort of, facilitate this sort of like um this this career where he could just kind of get away with doing nothing you know and i think it really like that's why he's polarizing still in uncut gems which i think is an un like an unbelievably like almost pantheon level great performance is howie bling like a great movie character and that's all sandler and that's all sandler and it just makes me so disappointed when I see this, which had 40 million dollars spent on it at a time when they could be making literally anything and it's just it's nothing. It's an hour and forty-seven minutes of nothing for me. Um, ugh, fuck. I, I, I get it. I, I get what it. you're saying. I get what you're saying. I don't think that he thinks that he's making bad movies when he does this because, I, to tell you the truth, I don't think. <sighs> I don't that, know. I. Uh, no, I, think, I don't I think, think that he, he thinks that. No, I think that every single project that he does to a certain level, there's something about it that is a reason he wants to make the movie. He wants to be making that movie. So what's for the make, some for reason. making for making click at this time? <laughs> because it's about, about family. Stuff. It's about fucking family. Okay. It's about spending time with your family and realizing that work is not all it's cracked up to be when you're not making money that you can spend with your family. That's what the movie's about. That is why he made this movie. Yes, there's jokes in this movie that don't work on either it's an outdated thing that we're not really going to joke about that thing anymore in the year of our Lord 2020. And then there's just jokes that also just aren't that funny in the movie. But for me, the scale is tipped in a way where I'm laughing more so than I'm not laughing at the movie. And even more so, I am invested in Michael Newman's arc of realizing his faux pas and realizing his flaws and realizing it's too late. It is the, it's, 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 it is the <sighs> basis for it's a wonderful life. Not it's a one. It's not the movie. It's a wonderful life, but it's the same kind of idea as it's a wonderful life done with yeah, this yeah, fucking magic Car- remote. I was watching. Yeah. Big Joel, the guy whose video I watched pointed out is kind of Christmas carolly too. Absolutely. You know, it's guy goes through, you know, I don't know. I, I don't care about the character of Michael Newman. Um, he comes on screen and I just, 
I, I don't care. And then he um, makes a weird fucking joke about like his fuck. Okay, let me pull up my notebook actually. Mason's notebook. Mason's notebook. So off the top, uh, okay, off the top, off the top, I just wrote so much going on. Uh, why is the dog <laughs> humping the stuffed animal? Little girl, don't fuck until you're 37. Uh, being mean to kids. Um, and yeah, I don't like this guy. <laughs> um, <laughs> abusive to a teenager. And he goes to work. Come on, he's dude. He's abusive to a teenager? He's Fuck, abusive come to on, a dude. The kid no, who lives next so door? He's that kid for no reason. He's so it's, mean to that kid for no reason. That kid's a dipshit. He's fucking with that kid. But he's like physically, he's meant, he's fucking with the space-time continuum, allegedly, to fuck with this kid and like physically hurt him. And I don't think that's funny or interesting. All right. I don't. And then you go to work and his client for the day is Rob Schneider in brown face. And I'm like, I am done. I am done. Yeah, it's that not, part doesn't it, it, hold up anymore. In 2006, that probably killed. Like and in 2020, that, that doesn't. In the movie. I agree with you. That part doesn't hold up. I'm not defending that part. I don't like that part of the movie. But what I'm saying is that those things happen in a row, and I'm out of the movie, and I'm not going to be able to crawl back. And I just want to say that if you're listening to the show and you agree with, you know, I just want to say that that's the first three things that happens in the movie, and I feel like people who hear that know if this is going to be in the movie for them or not. That's all. I, that's all. That's it. Okay. Yeah, I think that this is a great movie about uh, family. I think this is a movie about family more so than anything else, and I don't think it's a comedy I, 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 in the I, same way that uh, fucking Billy Madison is. I think that this is a little bit more uh even keeled as far as like the craziness is concerned they sometimes do go for the like big sandler moment when he's like hitting david hasselhoff in the face when he's paused times and fucking you know farting in his face sometimes they will go for the big sandler joke but other, but other than like very select moments where they decide to do that it's about family and that's like what the movie is ultimately about with the big capital A. I, if you don't like it, okay. that's fine. That's one thing. But to say that it's not about anything, I just think is incorrect, ultimately. I, 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 no, I, I'm going to, I, it's about the, the oh my God, it's about the, the care, the man, Adam Sandler and the care of Michael Newman. I don't care about the fucking family. And in a movie about a family, I feel like I should care about a family. I don't. I don't care what happens to me in this movie. I'm sorry. I just don't. I just don't. Um, I can't see it for whatever reason. And if this makes me the fucking Grinch. I have to be the fucking Grinch or Ebenezer Scrooge for this episode. I don't know, man. I, I couldn't get past it. I, I don't want to harbor this too much. It re- truly means something to you, and I don't want to be a fucking Debbie Downer here, so... So it's about family for you, and it's a family movie. So you have like that strong association with it, then, right? Like it came, do you how like from two thousand six? How many times do you think you've seen this, like with your whole family? Maybe like two or three times with the whole family. You know, just sitting down, okay. enjoying it. So, I mean, listen, you're not alone in disliking this movie. This is a very divisive yeah. film. So you, you and I fall on either side of the line. Basically, there's. One side of it that is totally yeah. in agreement with you, where they're like, "Man, I just can't fucking do this shit with the Adam Sandler right now." And then there's the other part of there's the other faction uh, that's with me, and they're like, you know, they appreciate this movie for what it is. I don't think this movie is yeah. you know, fucking Oscar worthy. I don't think this movie is like 
you know, should be put in the pantheon of like the Oscar Museum or whatever, like hung from the rafters like a fucking jersey or whatever. No, but I do but think I, it's a I, deeply I, underrated film that doesn't get credit for what it actually does do, which is occasionally I, make me laugh. And it's a really touching story about using the time that you have on Earth for good. Christopher Walken is in this movie. Do you like Christopher Walken in this movie? I like Christopher Walken in this movie. You can't not like Christopher Walken. It's kind of a silly question to ask, but yes, I do like Christopher Walken in this movie. He plays Morty. He plays Morty. He's, he pops up, and he makes Adam Sandler fall backwards and break his table. A little bit <laughs> that, of that does happen. There. That does happen in this movie. You know who else is in this movie? There. Uh, uh, Henry Winkler. Henry Winkler. Julie Kavner. Julie Kavner is also in this movie. Marge fucking Simpson is in this movie. I like them together. I think that's a great little couple. They're not on screen for an insanely long amount of time, but I buy that those are Michael Newman's parents, and I buy the relationship of, like, man, this guy doesn't want anything to do with his parents, yet there's nothing to really not want to do with the parents. They're, like, sweet and nice and a little bit overbearing, but as all Jewish fucking families are, and I'm saying that as a Jewish person, sure. yeah, it's absolutely the way it is. Sure, so, sure, sure, sure. There's that. Also, Jennifer Coolidge is in this movie. Mason, your favorite actor, Jennifer Coolidge, is in this movie. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, and I'm... Yeah, yeah, she is in this movie. <laughs> Stifler's mom, Mason, is in this fucking movie. She's in this movie. Michael's very mean to her. That's the character. Oh, and she gets up with she gets with David Hasselhoff, so good for her. But she's in this movie. So there's not a there's not a single thing about this movie that you like, except for Christopher Walken. No, I was thinking about this because I didn't want to be too poo pooey here. I did like the fat suit that Sandler's in. Yes. Um, and I think my favorite part of the movie is when he realizes that he's fast-forwarding through the good parts. Uh, or he fast-forwards through a year, I think? It's the part where he goes to work in his robe. That stretch of the movie I kind of liked. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, well, there's the part where he goes to work in his robe because he knows that if he fights with his wife, then the remote is going to like have learned to fast-forward through that stuff. Yes when, the, yes, when the consequences start happening 40 minutes into the movie, yes, that's when I, I like that part. Um, but yeah, uh, I, so I honestly, I was thinking who my Mercedes valuable player would be. And even though like, I'm not wild, I think that there's a couple, it's a Sandman vehicle through and through. I think he's trying his best. He's better in other things, but he's got to be it for this, for me, because the project wouldn't be what it was without him. So uh, that's my MVP for this. Damn. So I did Fuck end up liking it. something else from that movie. Thank God. Thank fucking God. Um, I did an episode about Sandler comedies on my other podcast, my favorite podcast with uh, Robert Franco uh, from Film Twitter. <laughs> if you uh, are on Twitter and know who Robert Franco is, <laughs> we talked about Twitter. Exactly. If you uh, care about Sandler comedies, you can listen to that episode. We talked about Happy Gilmore, the what is the other one? Oh, Big Daddy, and Don't Mess with the, You Don't Mess with the Zohan. I don't like You Don't Mess with the Zohan. That was one of the only movies that I've ever walked out of where I'm like. That was kind of offensive. Like I was genuinely like, oh, boy, okay. that was a little bit offensive. Did not like what I saw in that movie. Big Daddy, fucking awesome. Uh, fucking Happy Gilmore, awesome. Click, it's not quite at that level, but like I said, I think that it gets shit on too much. I have some fast facts for you. 
One of those fast passes right. that I've seen 60% of Frank Karachi's films, which is fucking crazy that I've seen that many of Frank Karachi's films. And who cares about Frank Karachi? Uh, but I got, some, I got some fast facts for you. Uh, despite having mixed reviews from critics, uh, like, you know, very mixed on this podcast, and Mason doesn't like this movie, I think this movie's very good. Yeah. Uh, it received a nomination for Best Makeup, the 79th Annual Academy Awards. Making this, as of 2020... Great makeup. Great makeup. As of 2020, this is the only Sandler film to be nominated for an Academy Award. Can you believe that, Mason? Okay. <laughs> okay. On July 2003, Sony purchased Steve Corin and Mark O'Keefe's spec script named Click. Whoa! For $1.75 million, with plans for it to be an Adam Sandler film produced by Revolution Studios and Neil H. Moritz's company, Original Film. The purchase occurred as the then Corin and O'Keefe penned Bruce Almighty script had grossed $236 million domestically in its two-month run. Click was the second comedy Moritz produced for Columbia Pictures after Not Another Teen Movie. Have you seen Not Another Teen Movie? I've not seen not another teen movie. I haven't either, but I want to. It's actually on Netflix as of this recording, and I think that it looks oh, interesting. So I'm gonna watch it. It could uh, be. It could be. <laughs> okay. Uh, what's the next? Where are we going after this? Um, although Sony planned filming to begin in April 2004 after Sandler finished shooting Spanglish. Uh, that was postponed for Karen, o- Karen and O'Keefe to rewrite the script under the supervision of Juan Jose Campanella, who also planned to direct the film as announced by Variety on May 12, 2004. However, he was, of course, replaced by Frank Caracci, who previously directed Sandler Vehicles, The Wedding Singer, and The Waterboy. Tim Harley, who helped write the script for another movie that we've uh, covered on this podcast, Tommy Boy, he was an executive producer on this project and did some uncredited script revisions as well. Imageworks began working on the digital effects for Click in January of 2006 without any R&D, zero research and development. While most of the effects were shot compositions, uh, three-dimensional graphics were also made for the display of the remote and matte painting a few settings, such as the Bed Bath & Beyond warehouse, a city background at Michael's workplace, and the winter backyard at his home. Programs such as Cinema 4D, Autodesk Maya were used to produce the graphics in order to make the fast-forwarding and rewinding look like DVD effects of interlaced video and scan lines slicing throughout were added. That's another thing that I like about this movie, actually, is the whole magical realism which i know is a crazy phrase to use uh for this movie because it's you know a silly fucking movie but the magical realism quote-unquote of the remote and the beyond section of bad bath and beyond i loved that as a kid i thought that was great and even watching it now i still got a little bit of a charm it made me go ah yes the beyond what is the beyond section of bed bath and beyond which is I don't know. Right. Made me laugh. I know it didn't make you laugh. I know you hate this movie. Um, Motion control photography and green screen (sighs) effects were used for scenes where Michael looked back on his life with the remote, meaning that occasionally two Michaels are in the same shot, while rotoscoping was used for the sequence where the change of color on his face with the remote. Click's official website debuted in late 2005, December of 2005, consisting only of the film's trailer. C.S. Stowbridge of The Numbers called the trailer better than i expected 
Other interactive features and pages were added later on, such as a plot summary, image gallery, information about the cast and crew, audio and video clips, and a control-your-own-universe poster generator. Mason, do you remember the wonderful world of movie websites? Those were incredible when you were a kid. I do. Those were so fun. They were so fun to pop around and play the, the special games yes. associated with the movie and see stills and trailers and production photos and stuff like that. I genuinely miss those. Those are like a part, a thing on the internet that you just don't get anymore. Much like how DisneyChannel.com and CartoonNetwork.com used to just have games that you could just play for free, and now I feel like it's all gonna go away because they're deactivating Flash at the end of this year. You know? Yeah, yeah, it's it's really sad. Uh, but I think the Internet Archive is running Flash still. Um, because folks are very concerned that Homestar Runner was going to go away forever, but Damn. I think Homestar Runner is going to be saved. So hopefully these classic Flash websites will be saved as well. Those are some good fast facts, though. It's bringing me back to 2006, and you know what? I'm sure if I saw this movie 14 years ago, we would feel different about it. Mason, I got some more fast but facts for you. So uh, you are <laughs> sorely mistaken when you think that those are all the fast facts that I have for you about Click. Uh, I'm so tired. Okay. <laughs> Click was one of only three films to surpass a $10,000 theater average on its opening weekend with 10673 The other two films, What's Up, Rockers? And Leonard Cohen, I'm Your Man both of which played at one theater. What the fuck is going on with that? That's crazy. In 1995, R.L. Stein wrote a very similar story in his Tales to Give You Goosebumps with almost the same plot and setup, even down to the title, Click. Scholastic Inc. almost sued Adam Sandler and his film's producers for plagiarism. Both parties agreed the entire situation was a coincidence, so no legal action was ever taken. Both stories could easily be based on the old French tale, The Magic Thread, in which a boy is able to pull a thread to speed up parts of his life he doesn't like. He quickly finds himself an old man before being given a second chance. How about that? You like that? Context. It's fun. Are you there? I think you're getting zoomed really fucking hardcore again. Can you hear me? I think, uh, yeah, I can hear you. Oh, yeah. We're going to power through then. Uh, Several future world events were mentioned by radio in the film as Michael fast-forwards through his life. Two of these include Michael Jackson becoming the first human being to clone himself and Britney Spears having her 23rd baby. In uh, In this film, the future spans from 2017 to 2030. The only other thing that I want to mention, Dolores O. Reardon is the singer who sings Linger at the wedding sing. She actually shows up. And I actually believe Dolores O'Riordan is no longer with us. So shout out to Dolores O'Riordan. Cranberries are a great band. Cranberries are a great band. She did pass away actually in 2019. Uh, So it's kind of nice that she, it's nice to see her. You miss her. You love the Cranberries. She's in click. Let's let's keep going. Uh, My MVP is also Sandler. The reason the movie works to the reason that or the to the level that I think it does. I think the Corin and O'Keefe script helps, but I think Sandler sells it. I think he's doing some great acting in this movie, especially toward the end as his life continues to dwindle further and further away from his eyes basically i guess i'm gonna give this movie a just normal recommend uh obviously it's a very divisive film uh as you've been able to tell on this program, but if you're team Noah with click hashtag click rules. And if you are Team Mason, 
for this movie. Hashtag click drools. Yeah, you like that, Mason? From mine. Good. Um, I don't recommend this movie. I give this a bah humbug. <laughs> turn me into freaking Scrooge. And uh, watch It's a Wonderful Life instead. It makes me cry every single time legitimately. Yeah, just like how Click makes me legitimately cry every single time. Um, Mason, I think we're done with the show. <laughs> I think that's I think that's enough show for today. Um, it has to be it. It, it has to You be. can find this show uh, on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, it, it's on the list pod on Twitter and at it's on underscore the list on Instagram. Uh, you can find the link tree down in the description for all the other fun things that we are associated with. YLG, Mason's other podcast that I'm sure he'll talk about when it's his turn to freaking talk. Uh, but you can listen to my other podcast, my favorite podcast, a podcast about people's favorite things. This week, I'll be talking to friend of this show, Jake Ellenbogen, about Survivor. Hey, that'll be a great show. It'll be fun. It was my first time watching Survivor ever uh, for this show. So. Very cool. Excited for that show. I'm actually recording that tomorrow as of this recording. But that podcast will come out on Thursday when you're listening to this the day it comes out. Because I know everyone likes to listen to it the day it comes out. <laughs> um, so there's that. And then YLG, we actually released a video, believe it or not. It's about Family Guy. It's about MILFs. You love to hear it. You love to see it. It's really funny. Uh, I watched it. It's very good. Thank you, uh, Chef Mason. Um, is that all you got to plug? Uh, my other little recommendo that's like just nothing that has to do with the show at all. Uh, I don't know if I've plugged this before or if I've recommended this before. I definitely, there's a good chance I had because I watched it back in February. But Whitmer Thomas's special, The Golden One, is great. It's one of my favorite things to come out of 2020. It was a pre-pandemic watch, actually, believe it or not. That was a thing. Uh, and I've been listening to his album a lot uh, of late, specifically the song, The Golden One, but the album is on Spotify and his songs that he does in it are fantastic. You can listen to it. It's called Songs from the Golden One. It's like 35-ish minutes long. So that's my other little recommendo. Mason, close the dang show out for me, will ya? Uh, 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 box. Follow me on Instagram at HotDogDebicki. Please listen to my other podcast about the shield. The um, long and I'm um, so tired. I have work in the morning. Uh, Black Lives Matter, Black Trans Lives Matter. Defund, abolish the police. Save the post office. Sell, t- tell someone you love them. And uh, we'll see you all next time. Bye-bye. Cause I can't abide I'll be good slow
Yeah. Uh-huh. 